today, we're fortunate to have a few minutes with Mike Vasquez, who is the co-founder and CEO of a Chicago-based consulting firm, 3D, Three Degrees. Uh, Mike, good to see you. Hello. Nice to see you as well. Well, today, the, the goal of this conversation is just to allow our 3D Hills 2020 audience to get to know you a little bit better before the event in June. Uh, so I'd like to start uh, with why don't you tell us a little bit about Three Degrees? Sure. So thanks for, for having me. Um, so Three Degrees is a company I started in 2012. Um, so going on a number of years um, as a you know, researcher, PhD coming out of the material science department, uh, focused on additive manufacturing. I was really interested in how companies and organizations were thinking about deploying the technology in a large array of industries and was finding that there was kind of this, uh, I'd call it a dirt road. There wasn't really a, a super highway or a, even <laughs> a paved road to, to that fact in terms of helping people kind of move from, hey, 3D printing is an interesting technology to, okay, now we're, we're ready to, de to deploy it, ready to bring it mainstream. So the idea of 3D degrees is a, was an organization to, help companies kind of navigate the process of thinking about how 3D printing could impact their best business, um, whether that be in an end user capacity. So helping um, identify applications or um, set up a facility. Um, we do also a lot of work with chemical companies who are in the same boat to think like, okay, if, if 3D printing kind of takes off in one or two areas, how does that impact us as a material supplier in injection molding or, um, kind of metals or, or whatever it may be. So um, we thought that we could help um, kind of be a neutral kind of technical expert on, on the, the technology. And um, it's been a great ride. I've learned a lot uh, just starting it from scratch with zero in the bank account and, and kind of building it uh, going on eight years now. And, and so we've, over that, that time, we've worked with almost 50 different companies, um, range of large and small companies. We've got a small team here and we've been, um, have generated some software as well. So um, seen a lot and excited to continue to be part of the, the 3D printing ecosystem. Yeah, I think what's impressive and I think we should trace the story a little bit further earlier uh, in your life. What's impressive is you started this company right out of academia. So you, you finished your PhD in material science in, in England, right? Is that correct? That's right, yep. So, Loughborough, Loughborough University. I'm sorry, my pronunciation yeah. is terrible. Loughborough, yeah, Loughborough University. So my dad still can't, can't say it even <laughs> after a decade now. But before that, you were also at MIT, uh, which has a lot has been the mothership of a lot of 3D printing related innovations. But what in, inspired you to even be on this journey? First, material science, and then 3D printing. Yeah, so kind of the material science part, that's easy. So uh, I really was into sports growing up. I played baseball all the way kind of through high school and into college. I continued to play today. Um, uh, and kind of early on, um, there was a, uh, I observed that every year kind of being in Little League and in high school, they would come out with a new bat when material so one year it was aluminum and then the next year it was graphite the next year it was carbon fiber and I'm like oh like somewhere in some office like there's 
it's some person's job to make decisions about what goes into a baseball bat. And I think that's awesome. And so <laughs> one of the first classes I took at MIT where I was undergrad was a material science course and kind of talked about some of the different kind of underlying materials and chemistry and, and really got, um, fell in, in love with that and ended up doing my first internship at Easton Sports, which makes metal and carbon fiber baseball bats. So it kind of came full circle. Um, and then from there, kind of quickly realized that sports was a really interesting industry in the sense that similar to aerospace, where they're really testing new materials, like faster, higher, kind of whatever it may, may be in terms of performance. Um, but one of the things they didn't have was the regulations. So um, you don't have to go through FAA testing to, <laughs> to make a shoe or make a baseball bat. You can really try what's out there. And so from a, a technology perspective, they're really on the cutting edge of, of, of any major technology trend, whether it's lightweighting with alumina honeycomb or carbon fiber or these composites. And, and the same was true with 3D printing. And so, um, while I was at MIT, um, worked in the sports innovation lab, started to do some collaborative projects with Loughborough University in the UK, which was really big into both 3D printing. They were probably one of the first in the world to have a, a degree program in, in the space and the high-speed sintering technology came out of there. It's now the HP technology. Um, and so they were working on all sorts of 3D printing related um, endeavors and research, um, but also they're kind of the hub in the UK and maybe if not the uh, Europe itself on, on sports and sports research. And um, it was just kind of a, a coincidence that they, they matched. And um, I ended up doing a project on um, applying kind of and developing new materials for snowboarding applications with Burton I was going to say that. That's yeah. my and, uh, interest. <laughs> yeah. And uh, deep, deep ski equipment and snowboarding uh, snowboards yeah yeah it was great I mean um, I didn't know I had skied before starting this so I'd spent kind of uh, during the the PhD I would spend part-time in, in the UK doing research and DSEs all the things that you would do as a, a typical academic in the material science department but in the winter times um, I would be doing hands-on research at uh, Burton up in Burlington Vermont and I had never skied I'd, I'd skied, but I'd, I'm from Minnesota, so I'd been on the snow and comfortable with that, but I'd never snowboarded before. And so the guys I was working with, um, very special guys, Ryan Larson and John Cross, they took me out to the, um, the slopes and uh, gave me a board, gave me a helmet and said, um, there's only one. It was like the first snow of the year. And they said, um, we're going to do a bunch of runs. We'll see you as you make your way down the, the hill. I'm like, yeah, like, I'll try it. Like, I'm relatively... In, like I like to work out I'm in good shape. I'll, it shouldn't take long. And I think they did four or five runs in two hours or like they, we ended up being out there for about two hours before work. And they'd gone down four or five times, even taking a break. And I finally made it down <laughs> just up and down, yeah. up and down, but, but got the hang of it quickly. And we ended up doing a lot of good work in, in terms of developing um, some new polymer types and elastomerics for, um, some applications they were doing in, in the binding space and, and padding. That's very cool. I mean, I'm not a super sports fan, unfortunately, but I know a large audience out there loves sports. And what you just said, it really opened up a lot of uh, interesting conversation in the future, um, innovations in sports and et cetera. Uh, but I think 
you know, I would say it's fair to say that no one is in love with a molecule or polymer, but what we're really in love with is the potential of the applications, the applications. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, our, our conference uh, upcoming and in general, the Three Hills community in general, we're focusing on healthcare applications. And you have worked on a couple of projects in the, in the, in the past. You want to share some of that with us? Sure. Um, in, in a similar context, I think what we try to, to think about in terms of how do you apply 3D printing and, and whether it be sports or, or, or aerospace or especially medical is, is you really have to understand the, the full process, um, especially if it's going into a, a person's body, certainly, or if it's a, a support mechanism or an implant or whatever it may be, a, a prosthetic. Um, and so what we've really focused on is understanding the the entire process and most recently a a project we worked on was um, looking at the development of a um, call it an infant helmet so one Mm -hmm. I've got two kids one one and three so very very small kids and kind of one of the the interesting things now in in terms big thing is is sleep and um, the guidance from um, doctors around the world is to make sure that infants sleep on on their back to, to help with breathing and, and things like that when when they're when they're little especially and and that can lead to um, kind of unintended consequences of, of what's called flathead syndrome where kind of you, you see it on, on some littler kids and um, there are some different approaches to, to treating that and one of which is being um, having um, kids wear a, a helmet to, to help either protect them while they're, they're sleeping so it doesn't flatten as much or, or help kind of correct some of the, the, the shifts that have happened. It's not necessarily a, uh, uh, a lifelike damaging issue, but more kind of it is just helpful for, for that time period. And um, one of the challenges that uh, actually a, a family friend of ours, kind of they live down the street, um, you know, kids about our age, they were saying just in, in passing one day that, yeah, our, our kid has to, to, to get this, but um, like it, insurance is isn't covering or, or only pay or partially covering it, and it, it costs about five six thousand dollars to for one of these wow. things. And if you look at it, it's uh, a piece of molded molded plastic. It's not very big because they're they're small, they're kids, and it's got some Velcro on it, and it looks entirely uncomfortable. I, I wouldn't want to wear it for any particular mm-hmm. time, and the kids have to wear it for a long time. Yeah, and, that sounds medieval. And, um, and so we, we started just kind of brainstorming like, Hey, like this seems like something where 3d printing could, could make an impact and, um, worked with Northern Illinois university, um, to put some, um, approaches together of both lightweighting the, the, the helmet itself coming up with a process from, from start to finish to say, okay, let's take some of the, the scan data or the, the data we get from measurements and, and build a process that we can maybe explore whether this is a, uh, something that could be um, uh, optim- or like not optimized, but just improved or, or just a kind of a feasibility study and, um, and actually came up with some pretty interesting ideas, both in terms of cost. I mean, you can make these for certainly much cheaper um, with various printing technologies on the polymer side, but also you can make improvements. You can have it grow along with the, with the child. So making some adjustments mm-hmm. with dials. Um, yep. We added in some, some breathable areas and um, 
and cleaning was another big issue, right? Like kids like to put their hands in there. Like my daughter puts her hands in, in her hair all the time while she's eating. So they get messy. And so mm-hmm. for $5,000, you could have two or three, if not more. So you would yeah, have clean one and things. So, yeah. um, so we, we did that as kind of both a design exercise, but also, um, leverage some of the, the software tools we've developed to, to help with tracking the, the process inputs, which is also very important. So the materials inputs or process details, your inspection, post-processing, so that you had a, a, a qualified process at the end to, to make sure that um, even in, in this context, you would you build something that's robust and repeatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so based on your written interview, it sounds like a large component of your work focused on how to move 3D printing to the production space. Um, is this helmet, first of all, in production or in, there's a potential for it to be in a larger scale production? Yeah, certainly um, kind of early days in terms of, of getting out to production. We're talking with a few kind of medical um, professionals, doctors and things to, to move it along and continue work with the university. So it's mm-hmm. still probably early days, but we've made some really nice prototypes. And I think, yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, in your written interview, I can already tell just a slight sense of frustration of that it is not very easy to move these, you know, good designs, potentially good designs into production. So what do you think is the biggest challenges, challenge right now for moving 3D printing into production? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a disconnect between kind of the the way people perceive 3D printing. So a lot of people's first impression of 3D printing often comes from a filament-based technology, a MakerBot, yeah. something fairly simple. And um, not to say they're simple machines, but like it's it's very understandable, right? Like it's like decorating a cake almost. Yeah. But when you get into kind of the, the production technology, there's just a lot more variables that need to be understood. Um, certainly the, from the material science standpoint, you have, you're kind of building the material as you go on, on the powder side. So you're kind of melting and reheating and, and cooling materials. Um, and so the, the biggest disconnect I would say is like the understanding of kind of all the pieces that go into a finished part. Um, and so not just the raw materials, but your design, your, um, your process, the, 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 the machine itself, there's, there could be hundreds of variables in there that you don't even know about from, yeah. from that perspective. And one machine may not be identical to the other and build orientation makes a difference. And then what you have to do after the fact is, is there post-processing? How do you inspect it? When do you expect it? Like, what's the, how do I test a 3D printed part to say that it's going to last 10 years down the road, right? Like most 3D printers haven't been around that long. So how do you, think about that in, the, in terms of a problem, whether it's in, is it going to be in, um, in a body? Is it going to be exposed to different solvents for cleaning and, and things like that? So you, there's a lot of, I think, details that say, okay, I can print the design. Like that's not like, a, that's the easy part. Like, I, okay, like I, I can mostly print like uh, some sort of de- design, but is the intent there, is the, the, the rigor there to say that, okay, the materials match with the application, match with long-term sustainability or ability to, to performance its role. 
So I'd say that's yeah. kind of putting that all together is, is yeah. The By the way, I love the fact um, I love the fact that you brought up the word sustainability because um, a lot of other people don't think about that element. And and you're absolutely right. There are hundreds of um, elements that need to be considered. And I think that disconnect is both on an individual level and also on an organizational level. Mm-hmm. Um, so now to tackle that problem, you, you guys uh, invested to create a new software called Trace. Um, how is that different from the other workflow software that we have on the market? Yeah, so this came out of personal frustration more than anything. <laughs> we were working with a a number of companies kind of helping them put the production facility together. And I like how you, you mentioned the like, disconnect between the people, well, just in organizations. So oftentimes yeah. there's a big disconnect between the people that spend the money to buy a printer and the people that are operating it. Um, in just terms of how easy something is to, to make, right? Like most people just see the finished part, but you don't understand what it took to get there. And so what we were realizing pretty quickly is for those organizations that were making significant investments into the machines um, to, to make parts, some of the back end, some of the, I would say the plumbing was, was somewhat um, disconnected, um, even <laughs> in the sense of, um, or especially in the sense of just categorizing, okay, where's your material stockpile? Like where's your standards and your safety protocols for your operators? And all this was on these different islands, we called it like a lot of it relied on some kind of engineer technicians, Excel spreadsheet that they have. And mm. some of it's an email and some of it's a Dropbox or SharePoint. And it was all over the place. I mean, it, it existed, like it was there, like you get get machine data and all that stuff, but um, it wasn't very well compiled and especially in the, the, the context of, of the 3D printing workflow. And so um, ended up interviewing about 50 different people that worked in, in the space, operators from, um, engineers to management to people that make standards for 3D printing and, and just try to get an understanding of like, hey, what's best practice here? And, and most people hadn't thought about it. Like, hey, we use Excel. Like I'd say like, that's the biggest, <laughs> by far the biggest solution right now. It's 90, 95% of what people are doing. And just thought that there could be a more streamlined solution. And so kind of our, our approach with, with Trace, uh, the software we developed is really a, uh, kind of management tool for a lot of your technical details with mm-hmm. within um, the workflow process. So managing um, your material blends and managing process data, like how your how is your machine talk um, interacting with your material um, process details that we can feed in and inspection and and all of that in one place along with your safety standards and how you're recycling it or how are you you're disposing your materials and so kind of the the approach we're taking is more of a a, kind of a a technical resource for kind of managing that that 3d printing data for whether you're developing materials or going through that iterative process of saying hey we need to find our our workflow that works for us. Like we're, we need to spec our materials. We need to kind of go through the process of finding our parameters. So kind of people in, in that range up to the people that are going to, for the qualification of, of their process through FAA or FDA uh, mm-hmm. approaches. So making sure you have that data and it's 
correlated back to, to actual standards, um, which is another big thing that we tried to incorporate is there's a lot of good information out there from the likes of ASTM and ISO and the American Welding Society that put down a lot of this information um, in one format or the other. We tried to compile it a little bit so that there's- Yeah, I think the issue is, I think the issue is no one was compiling it. That's the issue. Um, yeah, so is this offered as part of your consulting service or this is a standalone software that people can purchase and use? It's both. <laughs> we're as a small company, okay. we're, we're starting as, uh, um, what we found is that certainly you can, you can purchase a standalone loan tool, but um, what has often been helpful with, with folks is we help give um, people a walkthrough of what does their process look like or what should it look like because we've worked with so many different companies and gone through the process. A lot of times we offer a lot of just kind of different perspectives that they may not have like, Hey, you thought about this or like why, like maybe you should be looking at documenting it in this way or looking at this standard. So typically we, we kind of help, help them get it, get it stood up and, and um, as well as, as just having the software. Cause I think our, our standpoint is, I mean, there's with, with any tool, right? Like there's, there's no shortage of data that we can measure. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's not the, the commodity is how, how do you use it in a way that you can test hypotheses and say, okay, we, our mechanical properties all of a sudden drop down. Like let's test some hypotheses. Was it a batch change or was it a, a material or was it a machine issue that we needed a, a maintenance issue or something? So um, I think what we try to do is help, empower people to, to test some of those hypotheses in the, in, in the, in an easier way, like than they would have mm -hmm. before with looking through yeah. the email or checking Excel or something like that. How to use the data they collect. That's, that's the key you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for this very insightful interview. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to your presentation at 3D Heels 2020. We're going to have a very exciting panel on material science from many different angles and, I'm also very excited to see the conversations among the, the speakers and also speaker and audience interaction. So thank you very much for today's time. Thank you. And I'll see you soon. <laughs>